Well, we're back. We're back for the second. Uh, one of our one of our super fans has suggested uh, we use the word exegesis. Uh, I, you know, and I, he said Whoa. he said right pre- to the dictionary early in the episode. <laughs> that's right. That's right. He he used the word press release exegesis, which I think, I think, I think that is some of the better work we have done in the software defined talk world is taking a press release and reading through it, kind of like. If you're a fan of uh, My Brother, My Brother and Me, there is the uh, I Want a Munch segment, and uh, they read press releases from Wendy's and Arby's and stuff, which which th- those are just delightful. But uh, I, I think maybe what we'll call it, I'm, I'm working on this title, uh, Brandon, tell me what you think. I think we're going to call it the Software Defined Talk Members Only White Paper Exegesis. <laughs> Well, you know, there won't be that much competition for the SEL on that. So yeah. that'll be uh that's the good news. Yeah. I, I mean I mean, speaking of big words, this this uh feeds directly into my propensity for really long titles. I have been I think I think the two major uh let's call them editors and copy editor, copy editors at Pivotal have both uh-huh. said, You really like long titles. <laughs> <laughs> And do do you change the titles, or do you are you one of the writers? Uh, no, no, no. The title is the title. I sent what I wanted. I, I change the title when they're wise enough to go into the CMS and and limit the number of characters that can physically be typed into a field. But otherwise, <laughs> no. And in fact, in fact, I like to pile on subtitles. So <laughs> I like it. So your title is the small abstract of your paper. Is that's really your end goal? Exactly. Exactly. Because like you know, it. I mean, this is a whole other talk. But as you know, you'll never get past slide one. Maybe you'll get to the executive <laughs> agenda. So you pack it all into those two slides. Get it out. Get it out in front. I like it. Yeah. Perfect. Mm. All right. So Cote, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. When somebody comes to you and asks you to give a presentation that you're not knowledgeable about, how do you go about preparing for such such an endeavor? Uh, well, I, I think I think the, the let's see the uh, well, I'll give you the easy answer. The easy answer is if I'm already prepared, I just sort of look <laughs> I just sort of look through it again and I find out a bunch about them and I see what I need to map or unmap. From, from what so, they're doing. So we should refer to this as the cut and paste. Like any like anything yeah. in life, the first thing you do, you're like, have I done something like this before? Yeah. And can I quickly cut and paste uh, something and send it on its way? So, but in the case of uh, what we're going to talk about this week, right, is is your DevOps talk, right? Mm-hmm. So at one point, let's assume you did not have all these fantastic slides in uh, this great story, and they came to you and they said, they probably said to you something like, hey, uh, in two days from now, we need you to be in some remote city that you don't live in, and you're going to talk. I, it's usually about all you get, right? That's about all you And then yeah. just give some broad – like talk about something related to like what we do, and uh, and you're off. So, 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 so to give you a little bit of the Andrew Clay Schaefer treatment, and then I'll, I'll, act, I'll get back to it. Like to, to rephrase your question a little bit, he's always doing that to me, which, which at first I found annoying, but I realized that he's pretty much right all the time, and it's more interesting. But uh, – uh, yeah, so so my slides are basically like a Heracletian river of continuous slides. So there's always there's always a bit of starter dough, right? I don't think I, I every now and then I try to force myself to start from a clean slate, but it doesn't work out. So now that said, that said, right? Uh, so this talk, uh, this this is the one that I've been giving this year called the not actually or not a DevOps talk, and it goes by other names sometimes. Sometimes I call it crafting your cloud native strategy. And to the point I was joking about. I always subtitle it, Beyond Survival is Not Mandatory. So this talk is exactly what you're saying. 
I forget when it originally happened, but uh, I think I think maybe I put this together to submit to DevOps Days Austin. It was probably late. This is 2017, right? Late 2016. And I was thinking like, well, I'm going to start submitting to DevOps Days and I can't submit the same talk I gave last year. So I need to come up with a new talk. Um, and and so with this one, again, it's a bit of a bit of a cheat, but I'll try to more generally answer your question. I'd written up a whole like 49 page booklet about all the stuff that people asked me over and over again. Just like you were saying, right? Like, I remember I started doing this project in the midsummer, around June of 2016. This is this is my um, crafting your cloud native strategy booklet, and uh, it basically all came about from a very large bank, a large global bank, sent me like this list of questions, and I just started like typing away the answer, and I was like, man, I gotta, I should write that up. So I wrote up this book, and it basically just covers like all the tactics of of like what digital transformation and DevOps and cloud native is and what are what are things people have failed and succeeded at uh, when they do it. So that's like the raw content running around, right? But what I went to, to get to your question uh, more generally, like the, what, what I do is usually it sounds kind of cheesy, but I just think about it for a while. <laughs> like I don't actually do anything. I just like when I'm walking around or taking a shower or whatever, it's it's always these moments where I'm just kind of like, playing in my head, like what I want to talk about and what the audience wants to hear and how I can incorporate things like that. And so I get I get the narrative going in my head. And this is good because it helps me like as I'm reading my daily news stuff, start filing stuff away. And at some point, I use OmniFocus nowadays, like I'll have an OmniFocus focus project. And I start just putting stuff in there. It's kind of like the pin board of things. And, uh, you know, I got like one of those little you can write in the shower notepads i'll put stuff on there every now and then and then uh and then eventually what i'll do is uh i'll either like start typing something which i've kind of already done here because i said i wrote, wrote up something usually whenever i do a presentation i actually wrote write like a prose version of it um but also usually i'll get a piece of paper and 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 uh, you know a writing device of some sort and i'll just like storyboard out like the narrative like the order i want things to go in um and, you know, so you just write little boxes and you kind of like order it and write comments on it. And that's something I learned with uh, the, 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 the main pe- the people I worked with at Dell. Like we would we would unfortunately it was always like after five. But uh, the, the cliche, the, the code order we would have is like, well, we better order some Chinese because we would always order like pizza and Chinese <laughs> and stay till like 10 at night in a conference room just whiteboarding stuff out. Um, and so uh, I don't order Chinese metaphorically anymore. Sadly, not literally either, because my wife doesn't like Chinese. Uh, But, you know, that's generally the thing that I do. And then after that, um, just to kind of wrap it up to be more concise, like I, I sit, I I sit down, I don't really stand so much anymore. And uh, I open up the PowerPoint, and I just start like making slides. And what I'll usually do is by this point, I usually have like, the like charts and points that I kind of want to make. And so I usually will spend um, too much time reworking my slide template, like (laughs) just a lot of time. Like, like if you'll notice the presentation I use, it has a picture of, of the, uh, of downtown Austin on it. And I spent a lot of time finding the right picture because the default templates from Pivotal, of course, have like San Francisco or some bullshit. It's not bullshit, but I was like, I'm fucking from Austin. So how about that? Right. So like. I'll put together the template and make sure the colors match and all this kind of stuff. I've kind of drawn the line at, line at making sure you match the fonts because that always gets <laughs> fucked up. Um, 
So I make well, the ten- and and then and then I'll go through and kind of go from that storyboard and I'll just add blank slides with titles. And then after that, it's just sort of like grinding out, like put this chart here, put this text here. That yeah, doesn't work. Put this thing here. Yeah. But I think you got to go back. Like one of the things I think gets lost, and this is going to sound both obvious and maybe kind of stupid at the beginning, is like the key to giving a good presentation before making a good presentation, I think, is actually uh, just talking to a bunch of people, mm, right? So like, like where does um, – because you're kind of talking about the – and I think you know what you hit on is something I don't do enough of but probably – we could all do more of is like getting offline with your presentation. So you're talking about like thinking about it, like whiteboarding it, maybe you some post its, you know, moving it around. So like getting away from the tool, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Like the slides and just getting the story. And that's Absolutely. usually better to do to do offline. But even before that, what I find is like, well, how do you like what's getting your brain going? It's it's usually like talking to like your peers at work, going to the conferences, talking to peers, like what questions are you being asked a lot? What are the, you know, and then, you know, sort of like that's the place, like if we were like comedians, right? Like comedians when they're working out, you know, like a new, a new routine, right? They'll go on the road to very like small like areas and they'll just do like lots of material, like and most of the material yeah. is bad, right? And I think for us, like when, you know, as people in maybe technology evangelism or marketing or whatever, like you're kind of just doing that all the time in your job, right? Cause you're just taking calls from sales guys. You're talking to people, your peers, you're maybe like, you know, at work talking to people at happy hour, talking to, you know, at work yep. and, and you just kind of like slowly, like, I think if you listen to people, they start to develop kind of the routines for answers. Like, wh- like it's simple, some very simple things would be like, if someone just comes up to you, like, what do you do? Right. You probably have a pretty good answer for that now. Right. You've been doing that for a while. And that's sort of like, you know, like you, you practice that answer so much because you, you start to learn what resonates. Like, Oh, that was too technical. People have no idea what I was doing or that job title I have is too vague. So you yeah. kind of have this like, Oh, you don't know what this is, but this is what I do. And then you have some, like, at some point you come up with some concise answer. So, I think that's like it's funny to say this, but the the key to like entertaining a lot of people is like talking to a lot of people because that's yeah. going to tell you what they want. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I try I try not to. Uh, I mean, I I let myself self-aggrandize a lot, but I try not to self-aggrandize so much to make the stand-up comedian comparison. But it is exactly like you said. Like a lot of uh, you know you know the the well, first of all, uh, for a long time, ever since I left Dell, I've made sure I've had a job where I basically get paid to like sit around and think things <laughs> right <laughs> so it's not always possible to do that to like gather all that stuff together uh and that's a large part of what i did at red monk but yes you're, you're right like all the raw content it comes from uh i don't know what the percentage is but i like for a, a huge amount of it to come from talking with people like actual and it can be you know anyone like just thought leaders or lords if you will lords and ladies or actual enterprises or things like that i mean this is a little um a lot of why I do podcasts is because it's talking with people and I get stuff, right? Like I'm talking through things and I'm figuring it out. So a lot of the material comes from podcasts. And so that's one trick that I use. And then there's also like, I always joke that I like read the internet, but yeah, like I spend a lot of time every day, just like fl- flipping. It's not flipping. It's uh, what what is it on a phone now? You know, thumb flipping through a bunch of RSS feeds and all sorts of things like that. And a lot of it is crap that just doesn't apply, but I'm out there trying to find the little nuggets that will work out. And I, I tend to save file those away, like in my pinboard account and I'll go back and like when I'm doing this material, I'll go back and search through there and try to find things like that. Uh, but yeah. And, and, and then, and then also your point, I mean, I, and then I end up doing this, um, 
you know, like I rehearsed a presentation with myself a few times just because like you just got to do that. Because inevitably the first time I rehearse a presentation, I'll like get to slide three and be like, I have, I have no idea what I was going to be doing here. <laughs> and so you have to rehearse it enough so you can at least go through it on your own. But then uh, not only just talking with people casually, but also giving the presentation, you hone it and perfect it. And then finally, like, I think to, to confirm what you're saying, another way of, of bringing all this in is like, um, you know, oftentimes it would be easy to think like, oh, I'm a, I'm a fancy director or whatever it is I am. And I shouldn't be going to all these little, I'm, I'm, I don't believe the stuff I'm about to say, but I shouldn't be going to all these little shit conferences like DevOps days. But I find that going to them is really good because I end up talking with people and learning the tropes and how to explain things. And it's just it's just good, uh, good for pulling all the sources from and finding out what people want to know and what they respond to and correcting it and, and all of that. Yeah, well, I think people that give great talks, right? And that doesn't necessarily mean there are many people that have big titles that give talks at big conferences. But I think we can all think of instances where those people aren't very good. But to give to be someone that gives a great talk like i think you got to spend your time at the small shows both you know you know learning how to give your presentation and then two kind of keeping it fresh and i think you know i do think you know i always have a lot of respect for stand up comedians cuz nothing in my mind is harder than to think to myself that someone's going to pay like 50 or 100 dollars or more to come sit in an auditorium uh for like an hour and the only thing I have uh, is a microphone, right? Mm -hmm. So that's it, right? I mean, there's nothing harder. They don't have slides. They don't have like, generally, they don't have like a magic trick or a movie. Like, it's just them. So, you know, and I think, you know, kind of the reason I was bringing that up is like, you know, as I mentioned before, if you've ever watched any kind of documentary about a comedian, it's always like, even the great ones, Chris Rock, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, you know, whoever we think is most popular they're at the smallest clubs in the world or i'm sorry they're at um just regular comedy clubs on a tuesday late at night in a small room practicing their craft right giving yeah. you know bombing just what you said you know when you're you know you and i probably just rehearse by ourselves maybe we, like we record it but they're like no i'm just going to be in front of 10 people right and that's what makes them great and and to that point uh you know, with with this with this uh, talk that we're extensively uh, talking about, like you were actually there one of the first times I gave it, and it was terrible, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like I remember you went you went to like the pivotal Austin offices, yeah. and it was late at night, and it was like, um, I don't always count pivotal people who come because they're kind of like ringers for audience, but there was there was basically like let's say five pivotal people, including like two new people who you know I would like to make a good impression on. You showed up, which was nice. And then there was there was there's always like the rando uh, fanny pack wearing person who goes to like late night tech conferences. And then and then there were a few other people there. And man, I don't know what the deal was, but like I think it, it took me like almost 90 minutes to give the presentation. And it just like it wasn't it was terrible, but whatever. That's a good example, right? I mean, that was uh, I think a galvanized. I think it was definitely 10 people or less. And like, I think that's a good example of like, that would be, you know, you're Jerry Seinfeld at a small club, right? It was like very, and, uh, and, you know, and again, like you're always, uh, like, I'm sure this is probably very similar to like, you know, a Jerry Seinfeld or Chris Rock, like they get up and they, they walk off and they're just like, 
man, that set sucked. It wasn't funny at all. And the audience is like, dude, you're not going to believe this. I just saw Chris Rock for 30 minutes. I had no idea. <laughs> like, I came here just to get a drink, and I thought I was just going to see somebody. I never know. Chris Rock came in. And they're like, it was the funniest thing. You know what I mean? It's like the moment for the audience is so different than it is for the performer, right? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that's kind of what you're saying. It's like, no, man, I, that's like, I thought it was good, right? I mean, I, um, but I remember, you know, right after that, you're like, ah, oh, it sucked. I was like, I think it was fine, you know. And in fact, I even talked to him. I think he had like a Lebowski slide yeah. uh, in it. And I was like, oh, that was cool, man. That was really funny, right? Yeah, and, yeah. That was the first time I used those two slides. And I was like, oh, you know, there's, I get it. So, um, all right. So that's that's sort of like the beginning. Now, what about, you know, the end of a presentation? Because like sometimes you're trying to work out your narrative. But I think, you know, in the case of this presentation, right, the title, Crafting Your Cloud Native Strategy. So it would be surprising at the end if you're like, oh, cloud native sucks, right? So like how much do you uh, think about your kind of your your ending um, when you're creating this this presentation? Mm. Let me think. Uh, I mean... I don't actually do the ending very well in most talks. Like I, I, I sort of like, like I, I'm more interested in like um, cataloging a bunch of stuff rather than like concluding something. I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining that right, but like, well, the thing about this, like, what do you hope? And and this is another way to ask that question. Like, what are you hoping at the end? That the audience either yeah, yeah. thinks, does, or feels like okay. And ha- and where in the process are you kind of like yeah, figuring yeah. that out? Yeah, so I know why I answered that question shittily. Like, so I used to do this thing, and I haven't done this for a while. I'm not sure why. I used to do this thing where the first slide would be my conclusions. If you've seen me give talks for a while, and, and right. I would I would say like I like to start with the conclusions so you can leave, <laughs> right? Right. And and that was so. I mean, that's kind of what you're getting at, or or, or what you're asking, or what I'm going to answer is is that like. I do have an idea of what I want you to think at the end, right? So there is an argument that I'm trying to make. I, I'm kind of contradicting myself. Um, but I don't really um, – I like the style that my, my girlfriend in high school's mother used to say of always eat dessert first, right? Like I like to know <laughs> what it is you're going to tell me and try to convince me of. You don't, and, and like I don't want to be tricked into it or led along to it. And, and also like I want to make sure I know what you want me to tell you or what you want to tell me. And so uh, that's why I used to, I should, maybe I should go do that again. I don't know. I, I stopped doing that because I would find that I'd spend 20 minutes on that slide. Um, and I don't know. Anyways, so yes, how, so the, back to the question, how do I think that up? Um, I think I think what I do, like especially in, in this talk, is uh, I usually have some questions in mind, right? Like I was talking about how that... Um, that uh, there, there, there's two levels of it. I was talking about how a big bank had sent me a bunch of questions uh, and I started filling it out. And, and so I usually have those questions in mind. And if you've, if you've ever seen my um, starting with the conclusion slide, basically I'll just have a list of all the answers to those questions. Um, and, and if I'm in, if, if I'm doing a poor job, I'll indent them and things like that. So one, there might be questions. So in this presentation, what are the questions? Like the questions are things like, um, so how do I actually get developers to do more work, right? Like, like, well, you would have them pair and have them not be in meetings. And so what do I do with legacy code, right? I have all this legacy stuff I need to do. I forget. I don't think I talk about legacy in this presentation, but here's some tips on getting over legacy or, 
or there's one slide that, that is a very good example of this. Like, it's like, so all of this sounds great. What do I do to get started? Right? Like, how should I plan out what to do first? And that answer is, you know, pick a series of small projects. And so I have like a list of in my head of like these questions uh, that, that people have commonly asked and um, or that I'm asking. And so like those are the things that I'm trying to answer. Uh, now, I'm saying it's two layer. The other layer is um, a lot of what I'm often trying to do is uh, is give, I don't know how to explain it, but give a model of how you should be thinking about some topic. And we talk a lot about this on Software Defined Talk in relation to, um, as we'll jokingly say, like, the number one part of business is making money, <laughs> right? And just be like, never mind all this other noise, like, what is the thing that you're after? And so, for example, the whole point of this talk, all the tactics aside, is like, so if you're thinking about DevOps or cloud or cloud native, the whole point is that whatever the business is, they want to start doing custom written software that helps run their business better, right? Like it's that. There's no, there's no off the shelf stuff. There's no whatever. This is all about you write custom written software that pays very close attention to the end user and actually studies if you're solving their problem on a very fast clip. Um, which, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about that in the first episode where the, well, I don't know if we did, where the, the point of the PWC paper was like, you should pay attention to people, right? Like customer experience. And so, um, like that's like the big Uber point I'm trying to make here and almost try to, um, try to reorient people's thinking around, this is the question you're actually asking. And then just to wrap up, like, how do I come up with that? Um, you know, I'll use another jokey thing, like, like for many years, including when I was at Dell doing strategy, um, and then at four five one and then at pivotal, like I would, this doesn't happen so much anymore, but I would go to meetings a lot where people were basically like, uh, we need to have a cloud strategy. Can you talk the rest of the time for this hour? <laughs> right. <laughs> and they're just like, right. I don't know what the fuck a cloud strategy is. What we should be doing, I barely know what our business does, right? And so right. I would spend a lot of time being like, okay, well, here's what a cloud strategy would look like, right? Like based on right. what you want to do and the capabilities of the technology and just trying to put that model in someone's head of like how to think through solving the problem. So that's interesting. So you definitely you kind of want them to leave with a model in their head. And then I think what you're kind of doing with that question format is you're kind of trying to impose some structure like these are the questions you think the audience has and you're yeah. trying to be explicit because that's i mean i think the, the q a format right is very natural because human beings that's what we do all day is ask questions get information so it's a good i do think it's a good tactic in the sense of like when someone leaves and like maybe three days later their mind will probably gravitate towards like the q a stuff like oh yeah there'll be something like the talk was good and he, he kind of yeah. talked about these questions so i think that's a nice way to leave a marker but you know one of the things that's in this presentation that i wanted you to comment on and i think it comes up in a lot of other presentations is you know you really are in this case i think both educating and advocating for kind of doing something different and as we've talked about many times human beings we don't like change we don't want any change right yeah. and i think you know i've gotten the sense like when i saw this presentation that you did that you know the first part of this is you you're kind of saying to the audience in a way like or asking them like do you want to change right because i think when you talk about custom software because they're you know in some ways like you need to challenge your audience like 
you know, the only reason you need to do this is because you want to do custom software. Uh, exactly. and, you know, and if you don't, right, like if that's not what you're here for today, <laughs> that's not something that is on your horizon, then, yep. you know, you don't need to make any change. Right? And I think this is where you even provide some, um, if I remember right, like you talked about some history of like just using off the shelf software and just kind of doing what it does. So how do you both challenge the audience, keep them engaged, but leave them like with a real question, right? Because most of the time people are like, yeah, 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 I want to change. But you really, in this case, like, and I know this presentation is advocating for that, like you need people to be bought into that change to get anything out of this presentation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so uh, there's a lot to answer there and perhaps answer four. Uh, so, so first of all, just structurally, like um, this version of the talk that I did at the Austin DevOps Day meetup is, it's it's the, let's call it the nerd version, right? There's, there's um there's kind of like a business person version that has a lot more front matter that talks about like uh strategy and how the marketplace is changing and you know if, if, for people who listen to software defined talk they they're familiar with this idea of like you know scare slides with Uber but then the very genuine thing of like Re Professor Rita McGrath's transient advantage right so there is I've kind of clipped down that thing because over the past year like most people are like yeah I fucking get it business is hard nowadays, right? So you don't have to like convince them. But I do like, to the point of a model, I do like to kind of remind them that like, so hey, business people, you need to constantly be innovating and innovating is not just like a bunch of bullshit nowadays, a bullshit term. It's actually, or or as one of our new, uh, our, our new favorite uh, newsletter writers would say, a whore. Uh, like, we'll have to put a link to that. That was a delightful newsletter. Uh, so, you know, so I'll tell the business people like, so do you actually want to change how your business functions? Uh, using software is a way that you can do that. So, but in the nerd version, um, the way I kind of pander to it, I mean, one, I try to make sure I'm at an audience in front of an audience that would care. I, I'll, there is there is a story I could tell about when I was put in front of an audience that didn't care. And then like 40 minutes into it, we were both like, oh, you don't care anything about developers, which was which is it actually turned out well because the person was like, well, now that you mention it, I, I probably should care about developers. And then we talked for like an hour more, but whatever. Um, around Pivotal, this is known as the uh, you end up meeting with a bunch of storage admins meeting. Um, but right. which doesn't really happen that much anymore. But so um, so in this in this case, uh, like think about the audience of the Austin DevOps meetup. So they're all interested in this stuff. But what th that's kind of why I have this this first slide after my uh, my um, my bio slide. I have this jokey slide from Dune where Paul is going to stick his hand in whatever that name of that box is because he's been told he needs to transform. Right. So. I'm sort of relying on hooking the audience by just purely being interested on the topic, right? Which is fine. So it's kind of like, and I, and I give this, I'm like, I'm going to tell you about a new way of using custom software and DevOps and blah, blah, blah. And if you just like anything about programming, then fine, we're done. And this other one is the more cynical thing of like, hey, you probably work at a big company and some asshole has some, come to tell you that you need a digital transformation. And you're like, what the fuck? So let me help you out, right? It's sort of like, let me... And I, I wrote a register right. column about this once, but let me kind of like tell you what to do in response to that so you can get on to watching your, you know, whatever fucking Netflix thing you want to watch, right? right. Uh, and so right. it's just sort of like, I'm going to make your life easier by filling in a gap that you have. That makes sense. So, but I, I do think what's interesting about that is that you're hitting on what I think is really common in presentation is like the people in the audience will be generally 
bought off on like probably the topic, right? I mean, they're there. But the the hard part, right, is that they then have to go and talk to somebody else, right? And that's kind of like what I think you're trying to do, right? You're trying to arm them with that what that is. Yeah. But then I think there's still another layer there, right, around like, you know, there are people that like do understand all the components of DevOps, right, and the culture and all the things that gets talked about a lot. But it's still really hard to implement. So I think part of it is like while those people may want to do it, right, they they may intellectually be like, yeah, I want to do this. Like when they get back to their office, they're not going to do it. You know, it's like this is what I, I – sometimes I think it's like equivalent of like weight loss or something. Like it's not that complicated to go yeah, listen yeah. to someone give a great presentation about like eat less, exercise more, and everyone in the room being like, "Absolutely, that's totally what you should do. That's totally what I'm going to do." That, and they go back, yeah. and you know, they they don't, right? And the reason is like, so I think like I always find like presentations that are like w- walking up to this line of like pushing you as an audience member to like really confront your desire to change. You know what I mean? It's like because sometimes like leaving that presentation, be like, I did understand what he's going to say. I understood what he wants up me to do, but I'm not ready to do it. Sometimes it's almost better for people to be at that intellectual level because yeah. it's just like it's more honest than it is to be like, oh, you know, I'm so mad at myself. I just ate the uh, – what did I just eat? I just, I just ate one of the snack bars out yeah. of the snack closet. You, you know, you like, know what, well, I, what, what happens? I, what I did this morning, my son has not eaten the sandwiches I prepared for him for the last two days in camp. So right. I just – I you know, I made a sandwich for him and I was like, Cormac – do you want a sandwich for lunch? And he was like, I want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I was like, fuck. And, and Brandon, I ate his sandwich for breakfast. Yep, yep. I was just I'm, like, I, I am not going to throw away this goddamn sandwich once again. <laughs> I'm eating it. It's just like, fuck Tim Ferriss and the French driver. I'm eating this sandwich. That's right. I'm, I'm getting some carbs this morning. I like it. Anyway, but, but, but I you're, think that's yeah. You're that's, you're reminding that's what me. I think you're trying to get to. Yeah, you're reminding me of another thing that that I think speaks to the uh, the the another approach that I have and. I don't know. I like to think I'm doing this. Hopefully it works. I, it seems to is like um, an, another way of, of, of asking a question is like, how do you win over the trust of the audience to not only pay attention, but like think <laughs> and then and then, you know, best case scenario, those one to five percent of people who actually do something afterwards. Right. Right. Um, and and a lot of. For the type of content that are going over, as you're saying, it's it's like eat more fruits and vegetables uh, sort of content, right? Like, and I maybe starting back in 2008 when I used to have this podcast with John Willis. Um, this is when cloud was coming about and all this stuff. And almost every week when we would do a podcast, it was basically this: I would be like, John, what the fuck is cloud? What do I do with cloud? And he would explain it. And the next week, I'd be like, I still don't understand. What do I do with cloud? Um, so. And then I'd be paid to tell people like I knew what it was. Uh, and, and so the whole point is that like if there's this complicated thing um, and, you know, usually when you go out and you see big fancy uh, paid for keynotes about DevOps, it's pretty much that. It's like, have you heard of a value stream map? And like you should read the Phoenix Project. And it's just, it's just like it's I don't find it helpful. And so part of obviously the content I'm trying to be tactical uh, but part of the way I try to win trust is to basically use a bunch of my like cynical kind of like gonzo tone to be like, hey, man, this is all a bunch of fucking bullshit. But let's just get this. Just that's just you got to do it. So let's just start eating the bullshit. Right. It's just like this is all crazy and bonkers. But let me tell you how it actually is. Right. Like, I mean, it's kind of like a little bit of what we were discussing last week is like digital. Really? 
you know, I mean, even put a joke thing in there, but like you can actually kind of explain what this means and go over tactical things for it. And, uh, right. you know, all, all my, uh, joking at myself and other people sort of like gets to that point of trying to disarm the notion that I'm some highfalutin thought Lord who, uh, yeah. who doesn't know what they're talking about. So you're definitely doing like, kind of like the self deprecation, keep yourself, like make your, make the audience feel comfortable with you, right. Make yourself feel like a regular person. And, and I think that's like, I like actually enjoy presentations like that as well. And maybe everyone is trying to do that. So it's just how well you achieve it. And I think the other thing when you're giving a presentation is to always, you know, kind of back to like our dieting or any other thing is to realize that, you know, the reason like people go to several DevOps presentations or like the reason, you know, I personally read like a bunch of different like uh, business books or stories of how businesses are created is it's just sort of a way that's like how I'm trying to educate myself and keep myself interested in the topic and trying to push myself to make those changes right so like when you're lo- when you read things about working out or you're looking at different articles it's not like one article is changing your whole mind it's just like you're just trying to keep yourself in the in the mind of doing that and it's you know again all of these things are working on a person to make change so that's why like like you and i and when you know an, a topic intimately you're like oh the phoenix project but you know that's a great entry point right yeah. it's a great entry point for somebody new but like once they've read that and they've kind of heard the culture speeches a lot you know then i think you know you're sort of looking at you know i'm just going to speak for you here right you're in your job like pivotal is trying to sell something and hopefully that's not news to anyone but like you know you're at this moment where like Hopefully they've kind of already done that, right? They've read the Phoenix Project, they've seen the culture speeches, but now they're like, "What do I do?" Right? And I think that's what you're you're trying to like get them that next push, right? Maybe in your case, right? You hope they pick up the phone and you know one of the is it the pivots? I always get that the pivotal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is, there's, one of the pivots, there's there's a very complicated and, and flowchart of if you can call someone is. a pivot or not. But one of the pivots are junior pivots show up and then you know like a in a project can start, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's important in any talk is to understand like where the audience is in the life cycle and clearly like somebody at DevOps day, right? I think that's going to be your wheelhouse. Like those people are trying to do projects, right? And that's, you know, I think they're, they're the ideal audience. And then I guess the storage admins, which is funny, like, I don't know who talks to the storage admins, um, but they're just probably in a room somewhere like allocating storage. So, <laughs> you know, well who knows, said, who knows what's going on with that? All right. Well, let's talk about a second, though. Let's talk about some slide tricks. Allocating right? storage 24 seven. I don't know. I don't really, you know, it's like I just you know, storage and uh, compilers. You just there's a certain level you just like, oh, I'm abstracted above that. Uh, but uh Let's talk to some slide tricks, right? Because when you, you know, let's face it, people love slides. We all create lots of slides. Mm. So, you, I think you, you, you do some pictures, and I think you do some stats. So, why do you use pictures? Why do you use stats? And when do you use each? So, uh, mostly in my career, I've avoided using pictures. I, 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 uh, I, I, if, if, what do I call this? I call this the uh, stack of three rock slide, right? And, um, you know, this is popular in the 2000s. You had the, the Zen presentations and stuff like that. And I found that people still do that. To me, I guess people like it, but to me, it's like nauseating to have these big pictures and, and people just kind of speak over them. I mean, the, there are good versions of this. And if you're offended, I mean, exactly your presentations, your great versions. But like the, the worst one is what you see nowadays. And I think it's driven by this notion that like I should check my presentation into Git and have it auto generate instead of doing some fucking work and opening up PowerPoint or God forbid keynote. Uh, but 
you know, you'll have like the the sentence on a slide. It's just, anyways. I I don't I don't really like uh, simple slides because they're not um, they're not like meaty enough. Um, and you know, I've got a whole a whole little shtick that like you should think about, especially a corporate presentation as a as a word document accidentally printed in landscape. Right? Like, ha ha! Little joke there about the print menu. Um, and 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 that's that's my primary way. Of, of doing slides because, and I'll get back to the pictures in a little bit because my belief is that the uh, the actual live action giving of the presentation is often the least important instance of it. Right, um, a recording is the not the most important instance, but the the middle important instance if it's a list of three. Uh, because, you know, you can send the recording around and it scales and you can send it to anyone. Recording of a talk is really great. I, I was surprised this one was going to be record. So that was awesome. Um, uh, like I use recordings a lot just as basic research and things like that. Um, uh, and then, but I think the most important part of the presentation is the actual slides, uh, which I guess goes all against the Zen presentation stuff, which is why I don't like it. Uh, because the slides will be sent around not only after the meeting, but kind of consumed during the meeting. Like they're the reference. They're sort of like the book of what you want, right? And so that's why I make really dense slides compared to having the tree rocks stacked up. And I have lots of citations and I put links in there because like I look at this as like uh, an asset, like a thing that you're going to have. And, you know, I, uh, for many, many years, like I have this extensive directory structure in Dropbox where I just squirrel away shit, right? Like gigabytes of stuff like this. And then I go back and look at it. So that's why most of my, um, slides are like very dense and have lots of words. And it's also fun to joke that like, I like to break all the rules of slides. So here's a bunch <laughs> of bullet points, which is often good. So in this talk, I think sometime about last year, I was kind of like, ah, I should try that picture thing. <laughs> right. And, and see like. See, like, how that pans out, because I noticed that even despite everything that I was saying, like, I would be on a dense slide and, like, I would just, like, start talking about stuff. And it was kind of remotely connected. Like, it was still like wallpaper, the the slide behind me. It wasn't sort of like I was reading through it. So I was following that practice of don't read the slide, but it was kind of weird. So I started experimenting by putting in, like, the uh, – in this one, the two the two areas. I mean, there's a few that are pictures that are just joke transitions which I guess is, is a way of using it. But I've got this picture of, of the dude in the grocery store, like the opening scene where he's buying some milk. And I use that to illustrate the point that uh, software is not like a grocery store where you just go buy something. And so it's just a funny picture of that. And like, I don't really know how you would represent that in bullet points, right? There's no studies from Gartner that say that point. Um, and then, and then the next one is this schematic of a submarine. And this is also, this is where I tell the story that like software is also not, where you've got an existing system and you just got to go in and change this one little thing. Like you roll out the schematic. And so those right. two things kind of illustrated, they wallpapered the point that I was making uh, pretty well. And then I guess you could say the Twitter screenshot that I have is sort of like one big picture. And that's, that's an, but that's a joke transition too, right? All the rest of them are basically joke transitions where you're kind of like shifting the conversation of like, and now we're going to talk about this. Like I kind of went over the Dune picture and there's another one that's like an animation, like, you know, this infamous, I guess it's famous. I have to look this up, but this famous like tire fire one. And the whole point of that is to make this transition of like, so I've told you about utopia and I've even shown you the slide of all these pivotal people, uh, you know, that have all these great successes like that slide where I list pivotal customers and all these figures about their success is a classic anti three rock slide, right? Everything that I was saying is in that slide. 
And then I transition. I'm like, but when most people try to do this, this is what happens. So how do we right. avoid a tire fire? So that's. But uh, I do think you hit on a couple things there that I think are important to like hit on. Right? It's like one slides. You know, just photographs in general, like they do set a tone. Like you started this uh, conversation talking about how, like you know, you did, you took the time to find uh, an Austin picture, right, to replace yeah. the San Francisco picture because that sets a tone about who you are, what you're trying to convey, like your own style. I think pulp culture references, you know, especially they they certainly you know say something about you who picked it, but it also help you relate to the audience, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know, it's like a geek nerd audience, probably Game of Thrones, right? You know, or some whatever that's gonna connect in some way um i think it's always fun to like you know include stuff that's more obscure i think that's you have no problem doing that right like just sort of like some people get it some people don't which is always fun um and i do think photographs are great for like when it's story time in your presentation yeah because that way it, it can really the right photograph when you're getting into story time like whether it's like you know the grocery store story or whatever like does let that makes the story more powerful and it's definitely much easier on the eyes than like the white sometimes like you know like somebody leads to like a white presentation and you're like oh my god you feel like the sun is on you um (laughs) so it's like yeah that i mean i so i think those are good you know it's a good way now but what about the you know i I have a a specific opinion about this i want to hear like but what about when you're doing charts and numbers Uh like why why what are you trying to do with the charts and numbers yeah 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 yeah. and and just to just to just to the, do this another tick of being interviewed. Let me go back. I, I actually scrolled to the presentation. I was wrong. Like in this version of the presentation, I have like four or more big picture slides. And I just want to explain that. Like in an early version of this presentation, when I was experimenting with big pictures, like I, there was a second slide that would cover, you kind of see this in the, uh, the managing the change pace yourself. Like I would have a version of the slide like this, where there was the big black cover with a bunch of bullet points over it. And I just had like the picture slide as sort of like for fun. And I, I would eliminate that slide because I would find that I would go to the picture slide and I would say everything in the bullet points because I'd said it so much. And then I'd flip to that slide and it'd be like, oh, I already said all of that. So, uh, you know, I, I guess I guess my experiment kind of did come out well that like I had these very detailed things. But I still like I still don't like those slides because I forget the things that I want to say. And looking at presentation notes never works out. Like you'll notice in the recording of this, I'm roaming around like you never get to look at the presentation notes. But so it is <laughs> it is like. But I've said it enough that I remember the point. So anyway, so 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 back to your question, uh, like why why do I use a graph? Like like the the most dense one in this talk that I spend a lot of time on that I think is really powerful is like the the Gartner survey, and and it kind of goes over the a survey of agile practices put in place. And so so this is like um, this was a real find uh, that that I found, and I've had to like keep refining this and reformat it. But this. The reason I use this is because the point that I'm trying to make is, all right, if you want to improve the way that software you're writing your software to do your business, it's probably a good idea to do software in the best practices way possible. And everyone says they're doing agile, right? Right? Like we're all doing agile. I bet everyone (laughs) tells you that. And you're like, actually, if you look at this survey, which, and I often slip in like, this is representative of other surveys and anecdotes, right? Like this illustrates the point that the claim that I'm going to make that people actually don't follow Agile. And so in this slide, if you're not following along at home, it lists, you know, like unit testing and a huge part of the, the surveyed base does it. And then refactoring is done by about 40% of the people. And this is my favorite jokes that everyone always laughs up. And I was like, you know, you do refactoring because everyone's like, well, I know how to right click. Hey, good old rational rose joke there. 
But anyways, uh, and then it goes down and like all these agile practices amongst the survey base, people don't actually do them. Right. And so, you know, this gets back to my thing of not liking three rock presentations is like any given day, you can go to some sort of like keynote DevOps thing and you'll see a bunch of big slides up there and all of the great thought lords and ladies will get up there and they'll make these claims. Like the best one is like, you'll see a picture of silos and they'll be like, we've got to break down the silos uh, and, and things like that. Or, and, and, but there's no like data backing it up. It's just like this claim. Like, and they often don't even have, they might have like one story about some wacky little startup that did it once, but they don't have like the backing up uh, facts, so to speak, uh, that, that fuel that. So that's why I use charts as an illustration of, of a claim that I'm making. And, and like right. another one, like when I talk about how you ramp up a project by picking up, picking a bunch of um, small projects, right? Like I have actual data. This is, I should probably fix this slide. This is a slide that would be better with less, but it's, it's this chart of the, um, the progress of Home Depot getting applications running on Pivotal Cloud Foundry over the course of a year. And so the point that I'm trying to, it's illustrating the point with a real world example of like, this is the, the progression you should expect. You should start slow and ramp up. And so instead of just making that claim, I have an actual chart to sort of like, you know, help me out. Yeah, so I think the numbers, right, they're always playing the role of one, just third-party validation of some point, right? So trying to, like, give some substance to, you know, the claim you're making. And I think that's probably, like, most of the slides that I see are typically, you know, geared around that and makes, you know, very good use of it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I will just say the stuff that I like as far as numbers is always the uh, the counterintuitive stuff, right? The stuff mm. that's sort of taking a premise everybody thought was true. And you kind of maybe do this with Agile, right? You're like, everyone's doing Agile. And then you're like, oh, well, we did the survey and we actually learned that like most people aren't. Because right. that's, one, it's a little counterintuitive. And two, I think that really, your audience is probably really starting to relate to you. Like, oh my gosh, thank God. It's not just like, it's not just my company that's dysfunctional, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like, um, and you're, those are always the ones that draw you in. Something that sort of confirms a, if you will, a uh, deep-seated thought or assumption everyone has but can't talk about it out loud and then someone's like oh you know it's like someone just breaks the dam is like well yeah i'm yeah, not really yeah. doing that either and that's um yeah that really, I, 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 I heard i heard a audience uh, together i heard a, i heard a, a a good sardonic phrasing of that recently which is like uh everyone really wants you to tell them the lies they're telling to themselves <laughs> or or just like they want you to echo back to them the lies they're t they know that they're telling to themselves right yeah and, and i think there's always the risk right of there of the, you know confirmation bias but then confirmation bias is risky because it just feels so good baby you know so yeah, yeah. Um, and and there there's there's a good example of that that happens uh with with one of my other favorite jokes in here which is the you know don't go to meetings thing right and and it's it's a good right. example to go on about this point of like Yes, we should all go to less meetings. Thank you very much. Right? Like, <laughs> like I <laughs> thanks. Uh, but you know, the one there's like an example of Allstate going to less meetings that makes it more real that I get into. But you know, I kind of this confirming telling you know the lies you tell yourself. Like I go over and you know you can go look it up in the presentation. But kind of like a a, a stereotypical day where a developer ends up only having like thirty minutes or an hour because they go to all these meetings and get coffee and have to go to lunch and like there's lots of traffic so they leave early. And so it's sort of like, you know, relating and pretty much everyone is like, oh, man, that's so true. <laughs> and yeah. so and so it kind of pulls them along to that, like, you know, th th this this speaker and content know what they're talking about. So maybe they can help me. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's that. I mean, I think those numbers and stuff definitely are like I would kind of put them on like the affinity. Like they're bringing you clo- the audience closer and like making you feel better. But there is like, when you have a great statistic that goes the other way. And I can't think of one in IT off the top of my head, but like I, I listened to a recent Freakonomics episode that was, you know, make a real long episode uh, uh, conclusion real short. Was just, you know, they sh- they showed where like there was this program that was sort of like uh, early intervention with you know children at risk and helping them and all the things that they did. And then you know, of course, these things take a very long time, longitudinal studies to see like what happened between the control group that essentially didn't get the help and the kids that did get the help. And what they found out was the actually the children that received no additional help that cohort did better. And it was like. You know, I mean, honestly, it's heartbreaking to listen to mm. the uh, researchers and the people had been doing this because not only did they achieve that didn't achieve their goal, but by actually acting and intervening, they actually made these children's lives worse, which was the which was you know the thing they were trying to prevent, right? And it was like, you know, and they were kind of the episode was all about dealing with that kind of data, right? The thing that you know, the opposite of confirmation bias, the thing where it's yeah. like. Wait, you know, like you know, maybe I don't know what's super controversial in tech today. You know, um, maybe like you know, working at home or working off. Everyone's like, actually, it's more productive to go to meetings. You know, maybe I don't know if that's yeah, true, yeah, yeah. but like, but something like that that really shakes you, um, it can be super powerful, right? Because it's like you don't, I don't think as a someone that's seeing it, like it sticks with you for a couple of weeks. You're like, wow, like this thing that I've always wanted to do or been thinking about doing is probably not right. And that's, that can be really powerful in a presentation. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I guess, I, I mean, there's a third way of using numbers. Like the first way was sort of like uh, the counterintuitive thing. So you're kind of like telling some, something someone new. Right. And, um, and it, and it can also be like the exposing, the exposing thing, which is, um, you know, you're not actually doing agile. And then, and then there's a, there's the second one, which is sort of like, Hey buddy, we all we're all cool with each other right like i can back up the things that you know are happening and the third one is like it's not necessarily numbers based but it's kind of like the hallmark to say his name again of a good andrew clay schaefer talk where he's sort of like uh the way that you're the way that you're comfortable with doing everything is actually killing you (laughs) right and and it's sort of like you need to get over all these like biases and things like that and here's a bunch of monkeys on a ladder trying to get a banana and like you need to realize that you're being tricked and you're tricking yourself. And there, there, there's a variant of that that often you don't have to do this so much anymore, but it's kind of like the anti-special snowflake thing where you basically have to go tell people like, no, actually, you're not a special snowflake and you need to do the best practices. <laughs> and here's here's a chart or some numbers to uh, to to back that up. And I don't know. I, I mean, anytime you're arguing with someone, I mean, this is what I learned. One of the primary things I learned when I was doing strategy at Dell is like, you better have some fucking data. Right. Because because your 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 audience and your peers and your enemy are going to bring da- data. So you're going to need some, too. Right. And yeah. You're, you're gonna yeah. Need to, uh, it is the uh, ammunition. It's the ammunition for your gunfight. Yeah. All right, Kote. Well, we are uh, we went quite meta in this episode. But listen, you have taken the, the very uh, been very diligent, taking the time to write out. Uh, a long, comprehensive discussion of your presentation, mm-hmm. which actually has tons of content in here that we didn't talk about. So why don't you tell people what's in this and why they should read it? Sure. Well, we were also planning to talk about, too, uh, planning is a loose word. We were thinking <laughs> we, we would talk about uh, 
like two register articles that I wrote about DevOps. So one, uh, you, you pick, I think it's the most recent ones you can go pick out. I mean, the audience can go read my sort of commentary about how I go about doing that and what I think about it and, and the points of the piece. Uh, so there's that bonus content, but yeah, in this longer thing, I mean, I basically, uh, you know, I wrote some macro level stuff of like, what's the point of this presentation? And we talked about this stuff a lot. Like, what am I trying to accomplish? What do I want people to think? You know, we didn't really discuss the content of this talk at all, which I discussed a little bit there. I mean, I would refer people to the talk itself for the content. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, the, what I did is I uh, I don't like doing this, but I forced myself to watch the recording of this. And just Oh, that's hard. Yeah, Very yeah, difficult to yeah. watch yourself. It, it actually turned out, a, I, I don't mean this again to be self-aggrandizing, but it turned out a lot better than I thought it would be. I don't think I once thought like, oh, look at that fucking moron up there. But um, <laughs> like, like reading, as I watched it, as something popped into my head, I would type it out, right? And I would have to pause the video. Like, I mean, there's, I didn't catch all of these because it, it got kind of exhausting after a while. But, you know, like the first comment is like, I make this joke at the beginning of like, you know, if you've turned in, tuned in to, uh, to, to talk about seniors and not pets, you need to turn in two weeks later. So, you know, that's an allusion to a Mr. Show thing. But so I tried to kind of comment on these little jokes that I make, these Dennis Miller style, way deep cut jokes here and there. And then also, like, as I went through, there's a couple of, like, explanations of why I do things and how, how I think about things like, uh, like I don't know, uh, the fact that I refer back to the presentation previous and, like, my theory about that and how that comes up. And then kind of jokes that I make about myself, like I'm really good at aligning slides. And then, um, and then there's also some sort of, like, actual delivery of the talk. Like, there's certain points where I kind of note that, like, as I recall, I'd forgotten what I was talking about at this point. And so I was just kind of trying to quickly like talk as my mind thought and got back to the agenda. Or like I noticed that I'd been speaking that I noticed it was only 20 minutes of the talk left. And like, you know, I'm only halfway through. So now I got to start doing stuff. And uh, and then there's some little macro comments about, uh, you know, selections and citations. And then and then also, you know, Tony Roma is not Ricky Roma. These are two different people. <laughs> and, and then, and then I, uh, there's some, and actually I had a ton of questions at this relative to normal. So I wrote up some, uh, some commentary on the questions. So there you go. All right. Well, nice. Well, all of our, uh, you know, growing paid listener audience will, I'm sure enjoy reading this and hopefully they, uh, if they get a chance, Kote, we want them to join us in our Slack channel, right? right. Where they can come and uh, talk to us directly they've already paid to sign up for this podcast so we we're just going to thank them again for doing that and uh i don't know what else do we want them to do well so this is what they call the cta part of a presentation the call to action <laughs> that's right <laughs> and which uh, which should never be like never it should never be me asking you what it is but but that's so we're breaking that rule i oh, should know fine. what all that's the call fine. to actions are that's right. We'll have a meta discussion about podcasting one day and what's, what's up with this format. But yeah, so as Brandon said, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, you can find all of our normal free, I'm putting air quotes, you know, our, our great episodes there. First of all, you should subscribe to that. And it would be super great if you went and joined the Slack thing. I think I even have a link to the Slack thing. But if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash Slack or find it in the menu, thanks to our friend JJ, you can automatically sign up. And, you know, we discuss, uh, it's ramping up, I think, 
despite what our buddy Paul would rather have us do and join hang ops or whatever the fuck that is. Uh, like we have our own Slack thing and you can go to the software defined talk channel there and discuss things that are happening. And I think we, we are getting into the habit of putting all the links that we'll talk about into its own channel and you can dump links in there you want us to talk about. Um, and also, you know, if you're listening to this, it's because you're one of our Patreon members and you're patronizing us. We should bring back that use of the term as positive. <laughs> uh, and all you have to do is pay, I think, a minimum of a dollar a month. You sort of pledge it, if you will. It, you could be super cool and pledge like $3.33 or no one's done like $3.50 yet. Someone pledged $5 a month, which is awesome. And I think we're up to 10 or 11 people and you get this, this uh, members-only podcast where you can hear this. Uh, and you know, if you and if you want to help out the 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 extensive write up we're making free because that seems like good marketing. But if you find someone who would be interested in this, or you just want to tell us if you liked it or not, like feel free to send that around. I'll put a link to a PDF because we talk about PDFs. So why don't you email PDFs? But you can email that around. And you know, I'm not saying you should do this, but if you did want to pirate the MP3 in in order to help us market it, that might be okay. But really, it's best just a word of mouth, encourage people to uh, sign up for this stuff and uh, do it and give us feedback. And I think uh, it, it was it was exciting that Brandon asked me to talk about myself this whole time. But uh, we've got kind of like a little queue of white papers and press releases and stuff that we'll uh, exegesize over uh, in, in the next episode and the ones following it. And feel free to suggest to us ones that you think would be interesting. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye bye.